I send greetings to the City Church family and to all of our guests who are watching uh, both here in San Antonio and around the world. Uh, I, I look forward to the day when we can gather again face to face. And honestly, I look forward to the day when I can hug my mom again. You know what I'm saying? This ongoing coronavirus pandemic has become one of the greatest trials many of us will ever face. And the numbers are staggering. I mean, throughout the world, there are over 2 million people who have contracted this virus with hundreds of thousands of deaths. And right here in our own country, tens of thousands of people have tragically lost their lives to this virus. And then as many of you know, this health crisis has become an economic crisis for many. Over 16 million people here in the United States have filed for unemployment benefits. Folks, these are our family members. These are our friends. They're our neighbors. And they may even be some of you watching today. And our hearts go out to those who are suffering because of this pandemic. And in the face of the trials that we are encountering, I am calling the followers of Jesus to rise up. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is the time to rise up. Now is the time to rise up and to be Jesus' hands and his feet and his mouth and his bank account to serve those who are suffering in their trials. And starting today, we're going to study through an ancient letter. In fact, many believe it was the first letter written that is included in the Christian scriptures. It's written by Jesus' half-brother, James. And James wrote his letter to believers in the first century who are facing significant trials of their own. And folks, how we respond to trials is so significant. How we respond to trials can either make us bitter or it can make us better. How we respond to trials can turn out good or it can turn out bad. Now, I, I know because of this pandemic and many of us throughout the country are under a shelter in place order, you know, a lot of us are trying to find ways to just kill some time. And I know some of you are doing that by binge watching shows. I'm not much of a binge watcher myself, but there is one show that I binge watched and it's called Breaking Bad. And I think it's one of the best shows I've ever seen, honestly. And if, if you're not familiar with Breaking Bad, it tells the story of a normal guy uh, a high school chemistry teacher named Walter White. And he has a wife, a special needs team, and he also has a, a child on the way. But what happens is he discovers that he has inoperable lung cancer. And in the face of that truly significant trial, he has to wrestle with the darkest parts of his heart. How will he respond to his trial? Will he rise up? Or will he shrink back? Well, spoiler alert, he shrinks back. And he justifies it because of the looming financial needs of his family. And what's so tragic is as he makes decision after decision, shrinking back, shrinking back, this mild-mannered science teacher becomes a ruthless killer and a brutal drug dealer. In the face of trials... Walter White makes decisions that lead to be tragically bad for him and those he loves. What will happen as we face crises today?
I know Breaking Bad is Hollywood fiction, got it. But the trials we're facing today, they are not. How will we face these trials? How will we respond when temptation surfaces, when difficulties arise, when suffering brings pain, when it feels like God has abandoned us? How will we respond? How are you responding? The way you respond to trials can lead to something good or it can lead to something tragically bad. And I've seen people throughout my 30 years as a pastor respond to trials in, in ways where they shrink back and it was not good. Some people shrink back by denying the trial and denying the pain and the suffering. And they end up being the walking wounded who never find healing. Some respond to their trials by blaming other people. They have to find somebody to blame. And so they end up becoming resentful people and bitter people. Some respond to their trials by shrinking back and they just give up on the struggle. And so they live in a haze of depression or addiction. And then others respond to their trials by resenting God. And so they end up either angry at God or walking away from God completely. But there is another way. You can choose to rise up. And so James, the apostle James, writes his letter to believers who have experienced a significant trial in their lives. So let me give you the background. Uh, in Jerusalem, the church had experienced uh, dynamic growth, explosive growth, and they experienced numerous very powerful miracles. But then something happened that changed their circumstance. Jewish leaders killed one of the, the key church leaders named Stephen, and he became the first Christian martyr. And in the wake of his death, the book of Acts tells us what led to their trials. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It tells us that great persecution, not just some persecution, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Trials led to tough times for these believers. And so in essence, what happened to these uh, citizens of Jerusalem, imagine this, they had to flee from their homes, they had to flee from their jobs, they became like homeless refugees in Samaria and Judea. Imagine what they had to face. Imagine facing not only persecution, but the risk of death for your faith. And then imagine, imagine losing your job, losing your house because of your faith. I mean, where would they live? What, what, what job would they get? Where, how would they make money? And most importantly, what kind of internet service would they get? To these scattered believers, James writes these words of encouragement. James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this is so interesting. James basically says that in, in facing trials, something good can actually come from it. And I want to make several observations about this part of his letter. But before I do that, I want to, I want to speak a word of clarity. I do not believe James is writing to people who were facing abuse. That was not their trial. I don't think James would say these words to someone who is facing abuse. Instead, I think James would say something like, 
tell someone, get help and get away from the abusive situation. And I want you to know that we at City Church, we are here to help you. If you are experiencing abuse, I don't think these words from James apply to you. I think you need to tell someone and get away from this situation. And I want you to know we are here to help you. We will help you get out. But then James is addressing people facing other kinds of trials. And we understand these kinds of trials. Sometimes they're situational. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes they're relational. And these are the kinds of trials that uh, the believers that James is writing to are facing. So now I want to make my observations from this part of his letter. The first observation may seem obvious, but I think it's so important. James begins this uh, verse two by saying, my brothers and sisters. It's about who he's writing to. James is writing to brothers and sisters. In other words, he's writing to believers. And this is so important. And he's talking to them about their faith being tested. These are people who have faith. And this is so important because sometimes when people read the letter of James, they think this letter is about determining whether you're a real believer or not. And that's not what this letter is about. James is writing to genuine believers. These are brothers and sisters. He's writing to genuine believers who are facing genuine struggles in their life like you and I face. Second observation I want to make. Did you notice he didn't, James didn't say, if you face trials in life. He said, whenever you face trials in life. And that tells me that followers of Jesus will face trials in life. I mean, think about it. These first believers, these first followers of Jesus, they face trials in life. The first leaders of the church movement, you know, Peter and John and James and all of those guys, they face trials in life. And of course, Jesus faced trials in life too. And so James is sort of letting us know that trials in life are inevitable. Now, the third observation I want to make is really more of a question. It's like, I'm going to ask James, how can you consider trials joy? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? I mean, it sounds so counterintuitive. I don't know about you, but I spend a fair amount of time and energy trying to avoid trials and trying to get out of trials. How can I consider trials joy? Well, let's make sure we understand what James is saying and is not saying here. James is not saying that we ought to try to just put on a happy face and fake ourselves out in the midst of our trial. He's not saying we should feel joyful for our trial. He's not saying that we should just say to ourselves, oh, I'm so glad I've got cancer, or oh, I'm so grateful I lost my job, or oh, I'm so happy my spouse walked out on me. You know what I'm saying? James is not saying to be joyful for the trial. But James is saying that even in the pain of the trial, even in uncertainty, even in the confusion, something positive can come through it if we will rise up and persevere through the trial. If we do that, we can develop a tested faith, a mature faith, a complete faith, a tough faith. And a tough faith will help people get through tough times like these. And we can find joy in that, in developing a tough faith. And you know, I've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years now. And there are certain people in my life who inspire me. These are people who I believe have tough faith. 
And these are people who are my mentors. These are people who are my examples. And whenever I've talked to them about how they develop their tough faith, you know what they never say? They never say things like, well, you know, my faith got great when uh, it got so tough because when, it was when everything was going great, when my relationships were great, my, my finances were great, my health were, was great. That's when my faith got so tough. They never say stuff like that. They always point to certain trials that they went through. And it was in the, the, the heat of the trial that they forged a tough faith. And that's the kind of faith that we can find joy in. A kind of faith that will get us through tough times. You see, there is a purpose for trials that test our faith. God's purpose is to strengthen us through the trials. The way out of your trial is to persevere through it. The way out is through. Can you say that with me? The way out is through. The way out is through. And so rather than running from your trial or making other poor decisions that cause you to shrink back, what we need to do is rise up and persevere through the trial. We need to see how God can use our struggles in the trials to serve a greater purpose. And so consider with me, consider with me the struggle of the butterfly. When it's time for a caterpillar to transform into a butterfly, most of you know it creates a cocoon. And then when it's time for the butterfly to come out, there's a struggle that takes place, a trial, if you will. And as the, the butterfly tries to get, and get out of the cocoon and break out, if you tried to help the butterfly, I don't know if you knew this, you could actually harm it and even kill it because there's a purpose for the struggle. It's the struggle of the butterfly that sends blood to its wings so that it can fly away. And I think what James is telling us, there's a purpose in the trial. I think James is saying, if you want to fly, if you want to spread your wings and fly, then you've got to persevere through the trial. The way through, the way out is through. Okay, so how do we get through? Well, James continues. This is James 1 verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Such a person is double-minded, and that word's so important, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So James, in essence, says the way through your trial is to ask God for wisdom, to just call out to God and ask him to give, give you his wisdom as you're making your way through the trial. Because he's, the temptation is to trust in someone, other, some, someone or something other than God. That's what it means to be double-minded, where, where you're, you're sort of trusting God, but you also trust in something else to get through your trial. And so let, let me just speak for myself. One of my tendencies, one of my negative tendencies is to trust in my own strength to go my own way when I'm experiencing pain or a trial. It's like I try to find my own way out. And normally when I trust in myself, in my own strength, my own way, my own power, my own timing, I can make a bad situation worse. 
And that's what it means to be double-minded when you trust in something or someone other than God. Instead, James is telling us to call out to God and ask for wisdom, to say, Lord, I'm struggling. And it's okay to be honest with God. And that's beautiful. Be honest with God. God, I'm struggling. I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling anxious. Give me your wisdom in the midst of this trial. Help me to have your perspective. Help me to see what you see. And I think wisdom, gaining God's wisdom, is what can help us get through the trial instead of trusting in something else. So what were these first believers tempted to trust? Well, James continues, verse 9. And I want you to see this. It's a little bit subtle, but I want you to see this. Uh, James 1, 9. Believers in humble circumstances. Okay, pause. He's talking about those who are poor financially. So he's talking about the refugees, the homeless refugees who have now scattered into uh, Judea and Samaria. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Okay, so what were these first followers attempted to trust instead of God? Money. Money. And that's why James points to the temporary nature of monetary riches. It, it passes away eventually like, like a wildflower. And so the rich were tempted to trust in money, and they showed that by becoming stingy with what they had. They were hoarding what they had, uh, both uh, hoarding it from Jesus' movement and from these poor refugees who needed their help. And then the poor uh, showed a trust in money, and we're going to find this out later in the letter, but the poor reflected a trust in money instead of God by showing favoritism to the rich. Now, let me just clarify, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with getting rich. In fact, I hope you all get rich. You know what I'm saying? But there is something wrong. There's something unwise when you trust in your riches, trust in your money instead of trusting God. And let me also say there's nothing wrong with being poor. There's nothing wrong with being unemployed. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. But there is something wrong. There is something unwise with trusting money instead of trusting God. Trusting money is not how we rise up. So how do you know if you're trusting God or trusting money? Well, this is where I want to point back to what we learned in the Blessed Life series that we, we did a few weeks back. Because in that series, we looked at how Jesus answered that question. You know, how do I know if I'm trusting God or trusting money? And probably Jesus' longest teaching about trusting God and trusting money recorded in Matthew 6, Jesus summarizes the essence of his teaching about whether, how you know if you're trusting God or trusting money with these words recorded in Matthew 6, uh, 33, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, which, which is all of your needs, all of these things will be given to you as well. Generosity reflects our trust in God instead of money. And what Jesus teaches here is that if you will seek God's kingdom first with your money, with your finances, God will seek your kingdom. When you give financially first, God gives it back to you blessed. And I promise you that's the way you want to live your life. That is the blessed life. And the blessed life 
is the best life. And giving generously is one of the ways that we can rise up in the midst of adversity. And I know the blessed life, I know that's what James was thinking about. Because look at what he says next. This is James 1.12. James writes, blessed, there it is, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive, he's talking about getting something back, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here, uh, James teaches that God blesses those who persevere through their trials. And the crown of life that he's talking about there, that's a metaphor for some kind of tangible reward that we receive in this life uh, as we persevere through the trial. So how, okay, so let's, let's tie this all together now. So how then do we get through the trial? How, what, what does this have to do with getting through the trial? According to James, this is so important, we must develop the faith to see the crown of life, the reward on the other side of the trial. And if we can get that kind of faith where we can see what's going to happen at the end of the trial, that will give us strength to get through the trial. Once again, the way out is through. And I think that uh, seeing the crown of life, get, understanding this principle, it is what allows you to have a taste of joy. Because the joy at the end, when you can see it, when you have the faith to see the joy at the end, it's what allows you to get through and to rise up now. Okay, so uh, I've, I've been a weightlifter for most of my life. And think about the, the, the benefit of weightlifting and think about the pain that comes with weightlifting. I don't know if you know this, but when you do weight training, uh, you actually stress your muscles and it creates little tears in your muscles. That's when you feel the pain that comes with weight training. You know, In fact, weight training is where you get the principle, maybe you've heard this before, no pain, no gain, because the pain is what allows your body to rebuild the muscle and make it stronger and bigger. And it's the joy of the strength at the end that helps you get through and rise up now. Or consider the pain of pregnancy and childbirth. When a woman becomes pregnant, many of you, you know you have experienced nausea and pains in your body and hot flashes. And then of course there's the pain of childbirth. But the joy at the end is what helps you to get through and to rise up now. Folks, we are facing one of the most unusual trials many of us will ever face. And we each one have had to rearrange our lives in some way to get through this pandemic. But folks, hear me. We will get through this. And we will get through this trial together. That is a part of what it means to rise up. And I know that some of you are facing various other kinds of trials in your life that may not be related to the coronavirus. I know some of you may be facing what I'm going to call little T trials. Maybe you're having some challenges at work. Maybe you're having some challenges in your family. Maybe you're having some challenges in your finances. And those really are trials. And then I know, I know some of you are facing big T trials. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you are facing a life-threatening illness. Some of you are facing a devastating divorce. Some of you are facing an addiction of a loved one. And some of you are wrestling with suicidal thoughts and depression. 
whatever kind of trials you are facing, whether it's a big T trial or a little T trial, please hear me. Don't go through your trial alone. Don't go through your trial alone. I want to point back to James and these first believers. I want you to picture the setting. So James writes this letter. How does it get to these believers who are struggling and are facing trials? Someone takes this letter from church to church to church to church, and the believers would gather together, and they, someone would read this letter to them. And as they gathered together, they stood in their trial together. They stood by each other, and together they rose up and they got through their trials. And so will we. That is what it means to rise up. And on the other side, on the other side of whatever trials you are facing, please believe that you can experience joy again. Now, one of my very best friends, still my closest friend, went through a season of many trials. And he's given me permission to talk about what he went through. He was in his early 40s at the time, and he went to visit family members in another state. This guy's in great shape. He eats right, all of that kind of stuff, goes to the doctor and all of that. Well, while he's out for a jog, he suffered a heart attack. And as he tried to deal with the, the trial of that and what was going on in his body and to get himself in order, he came back to San Antonio. And soon after that, they discovered his wife had cancer. She had surgery, and then she went through brutal rounds of chemotherapy and radiation, and some of you guys know how brutal that can be. It was just a truly significant trial. But then in the midst of her treatment, she began to lose her hearing. Day by day, week by week, she lost more and more hearing to the point where they couldn't even talk to each other anymore. I mean, think about it. In the midst of one of the worst trials they ever faced, they couldn't even talk to each other. And I remember praying with my friend and standing with my friend the best I could. And I know it was so hard on him. And I, I just prayed with him and I would just talk with him. And you know, you wish you could do something to help. But you know, I saw something. As he went through this trial, something in him changed. His heart changed. His faith changed changed. He became a more empathetic person to those who are suffering, and his faith in God became greater and stronger, not weaker, greater. And as he and his wife finally got through this trial together, on the other side of it, you know what he told me? He told me that his wife is his hero. Isn't that beautiful? How many spouses can say that? My spouse is my hero. Well, his spouse is his hero. As he persevered through the trial, his faith in God got stronger and tougher. And his love for his wife got stronger too. And he experienced joy on the other side. The way out is through. And whatever trials you are facing now, I encourage you as an act of faith to see the joy on the other side at the end. That is what will help you get through what you're going through. You can do it. You can make it. Now is the time to rise up. Let me pray for you. And I, I want to pray for you what James encouraged us to pray, which is to ask God for wisdom. So 
Lord God, for all of those watching and for me too, Lord. Lord, I, I admit some of the trials I'm facing. I feel them. And I know that those who are watching, they feel it too. They feel their trials. And we just want to come before you, Father, and admit the way we feel. We feel burdened. Some of us feel anxious. Some of us feel fearful. Some of us feel confused. And we just admit that before you. And we ask for your wisdom. Lord, help us to see what you see. Stir faith within our hearts to see the end of our trial. Help us to see it. And let that vision of tomorrow inspire us today. Let that vision help us to get through what we're going through. Let that vision of tomorrow help us to rise up today. In Jesus' name, I ask for wisdom. Amen. Amen. God bless you.